Amen, amen. Thank you, brother. And I mean, it's a joy to be in the house of the Lord. And what a great privilege it is to worship with our kids. And so you are dismissed right now. Our elementary class is going back to their classroom to learn more about Jesus. And we get to open our Bibles here to the book of Titus, which is where we're going to continue today. Titus chapter 3, which is where we're going to be. And so if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some for you in the back. It would be our privilege to give one to you. Or you can open your smartphone or whatever other access you have to God's Word. And as we look to dig into the truths that God has for us today as we continue our Build Your Church series. And Jesus is at work, is he not? Is he not? Um, And uh, he's at work here. He's at work around the world. And we're so excited to see all that God is doing in in a big way. Not a problem. God is good all the time. And uh, all the time, God is good. And so he's at work here. We had a great weekend so far. We had a ladies event on Friday night that was awesome. We had 25, 30 guys at men's breakfast yesterday, which was great. And I want to encourage us all with Jesus is building his church internationally to today. I want to call us to prayer in the Dominican Republic, in Santiago, in, in the barrio, the neighborhood of Hato Mayor, is a church plant that we are partnering with that has their first church service today um, at four. Amen. It's awesome. Amen. So four o'clock this afternoon, would you join me in prayer this afternoon for Pastor Goomer, for Dan Woodring and the work there and, and our team this summer, Jeff and Josh and Russ and I had the privilege to literally walk these streets, pray that God, would you one day build a church right here, man, and three and a half months later, it's happening. Praise God. And so thank you for your faithful giving. Thank you for your support. This is what we do. We see the gospel. We, we give our lives to seeing the gospel transform lives locally, regionally, and globally. And um, just super thankful for that. We're going to have communion at the end of the service today. And so whether you're joining us in person or online, especially if you're online, grab a cookie, grab a cracker, uh, grab some juice, grab whatever you have around as we're going to remember the gospel today and pray that God would move in a significant way and as he continues to work. Question for you guys. Um, How many of you remember, and for some of you it'll have to be a longer memory, some of you it's a shorter memory, but your favorite article, uh, one of your favorite articles of clothing as a teenager, right? Um, And some of you, that's like bell bottoms and whatnot, and uh, yeah. But um, you'll see a picture of mine on the screen behind me, and I was actually, uh, I wore this shirt all the time. Anybody recognize this? Yeah, um, yeah, you might be a 90s youth group kid if um, you wore this. Um, but I would wear this so much and it got holes in my t-shirt. But I, I, I saw it the other day online and it was for sale. It was deemed as a vintage t-shirt and it's for sale for $99. And I was like, whoa, all of a sudden my t-shirt hoarding, I have some proof to go to Anna's. Like, I don't want to throw any more out because that's a retirement plan, right? Uh, <laughs> the stock market might tank, but man, t-shirts are going up. So praise God for that. Um, but the shirt there, it picks a bunch of fish going in one way and then one menacing looking and whatnot. And the other fish, an ichthus, if you would, going the other way with a go against the flow uh, type of slogan. And the ichthus, and you can look it up on your own time, was a symbol of the early church. And it meant Jesus Christ, uh, God, son of God, savior. And this is exactly what Paul is going to be teaching us from Titus chapter three today, that even in the hostility of the world, as disciples, he calls us to pursue and live differently, to pursue the new life, the abundant life, that the God that saves us is a God that changes us. And through this new life he gives us, he has a new purpose for us, a new glorious and impactful and rewarding life through the gospel as we live as daily witnesses of the gospel. More than a t-shirt to wear, this is a lifestyle to embrace 
And as we do that, we get to experience the abundancy of life. You see, Jesus teaches us that he, in John 10, 10, that he came that we might have life and have it to the what? Full, have it abundantly. Friends, God wants you to have and experience an abundant life this morning. I don't know how you walked in here. Maybe you're, you don't really feel like your life is abundant and peace, and hope, and joy. And I want you to know that it's possible for you today, because Jesus is here for you today. No matter the external circumstances of your life, the internal conditions of your heart, you can experience peace, joy, love, hope, new identity, as you anchor in the truth of God's word. The reality is that we're going to see today is that the gospel changes everything, does it not? And I pray that it would change all of us in this room. Because you know what the definition of insanity is? to do the same thing over and over and expect different results. But how many of us are like, I want peace, but I'm not really changing anything. I'm still pursuing my my hope in the stock market. I'm still seeking my joy in whether I win the game or lose the game. I'm going to seek my contentment whether I get the promotion or I don't get the promotion. How many of us are doing that? That's insanity. You want to experience victory, you need to think differently today. The choice is yours, and Jesus is going to give it to us. And my challenge to you, and really Paul's challenge to all of us from Titus chapter 3, is to stop settling and start living. The abundant, hope-filled life that God has for you that is available to every single one of us today. The big idea for today is this, is that I am born again by God to daily display the gospel of God. I am born again by God. God changes me. He transforms me to a new life for a new purpose to display the gospel of God every single day to live as his ambassador. So I pray and I might ask whether you're at home or whether you're here in person is that you would open your hearts right now. I know we're all walking through stuff. We're going to have a time to respond at the end of the service. Because I seriously, and the Holy Spirit, and I believe God, wants you to have an abundant life. And I pray that in humility, you would open your heart up right now to however God would move and work. I believe God has a response for every single one of us in this room. For some of us, he's calling us to put our faith in him for the very first time. To declare him as Lord and Savior. You might be informed about God, but man, I pray that today you would be transformed by God. Or maybe you want to bring a relationship that has been out of whack, a marriage or a friendship or a a parenting situation that, man, has not had the gospel at the center back into the focus of the centrality of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe it's a hurt that you've experienced in the past that you haven't had the ability, you're chosen yet to forgive the other person, you're walking in bondage today. Or maybe it's an uncertainty about the future you don't know, or maybe you didn't get the job and you're uncertain or you're searching for a spouse or a child and you don't have it yet. But God today says, I am enough for you. And my children, I I love you and I want the best for you because I want abundant life for you. So I pray that you would open your hearts and your lives to the work of the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, we are here today to declare that we want to pursue the abundant life that you so freely give and offer that is found only in and through Jesus Christ. God, we want to exalt your son, your son today. And Father, I pray that you would move and remove the distractions that are going to pop up in our heads and our minds and that we would focus on you that you would silence me and Holy Spirit, that you would flow, that the words that you want would be said and that you would do the transformative work that only you can, Holy Spirit. 
We all walked in here for a variety of different reasons, motivations, and purposes. But God, I pray that we would all meet you this morning. That we would be touched by you and changed by you, transformed by you, and leaving here desiring joyfully to live more like you. That's different for all of us. We all have a next step. And I just pray that you would guide the next little few moments that we have today. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 3. We love God's word here. If this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here. Your family here. We love to go verse by verse, book by book, and let God's word speak and apply it to our lives. We're in Titus chapter 3. We're going to look at the first eight verses here. Paul was writing. He says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Praise God. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is the word of the Lord. And what amazing words these are, amen. These are life-giving, hope-offering words. Paul is continuing in his exhortive letter to Titus, who is a pastor at Crete. He's a young pastor. To teaching him how to build the church, how God designed his church to be built. You know, it really, the theme of the, ver- the whole book is really in, in chapter, of chapter 1, verse 5. And this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. The rest of it flows out of that. And he is continuing here in the section that, that we've been studying recently. And Pastor Andrew did such a great job with last week about really telling us about the gospel of God, reminding us about the gospel of God, and then the responsibility that comes along with the, res- the gospel of God, that for the grace of God, now we are to live out the gospel of God. This section, the first two verses in chapter 3, verse 1, are really a, a juxtaposition, if you would, to the tail end of chapter 1, where he, he is taking false teachers and saying they are not ready for good works, they're unfit because they're seeking shameful game, they're empty talkers, they're liars, they're deceivers. And basically now he's saying, yes, I know, Titus, yes, I know, Cretan Christians, that you live in a culture of hostility, but there is a different way for you to go against the flow, to stand for Christ, to live for Christ, and for the first two verses, talk about how we are to do that in contrast to what Paul has already laid out before us in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Remind them, verse 1, he says, don't we all need some reminders today? I know I forget some things pretty quickly. Vision leaks is a saying. And honestly, I think in all of our lives, the gospel leaks, does it not? We shift from the centrality of the gospel. We ignore the centrality of the gospel. We drift, we run, we shirk, whatever, whatever you want to do. Maybe you're walking, running, sprinting away from it. But nevertheless, the result is the same. Jesus is no longer at the center. You found yourself, whether intentionally or unintentionally, pursuing the world. And how is that working out for you? 
Paul today is going to teach us to be different. This is a call to be different. So if you want to embrace the abundant life today, if you want to experience that, again, would you say, let's go? Awesome. Thanks, since you asked, let's go. Here are a couple different attributes of the abundant life that we see in this verse, these verses. The first is this, demonstrating the gospel faithfully. Are you pursuing this attribute? Are you demonstrating this attribute? Are you living out this attribute of demonstrating the gospel faithfully? The gospel, yes, is for your salvation. It absolutely is. But it's also for our daily living. It's also for our daily living. And out of an overflow, as we remember what God has done, we then, out of a heart of worship, reflect what he is doing to those that are around us. In verses one and eight, you'll see in this section, it, it, the, the grammatical term is an inclusio. It's a sandwich of sorts where Paul talks about being ready for every good work in verse one. And in eight, he comes back around and says, you must be committed and devoted to good work. So if that's the, the bread of our sandwich right now, the meat of the sandwich is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the regenerative work of the whole God, the Holy Spirit who takes us from who we were lost and depraved and far away and draws us in through the work of Jesus Christ to now be adopted, redeemed, and restored new creations with a new calling. Praise God. Amen. Paul is using this to reinforce the reality of the gospel centrality of it. And honestly, this section, it actually ties back up into the section we looked at last week. If you, the main clause, this is a letter that Paul has written, but the main clause of this section is actually what Pastor Andrew talked last week, which is verse 11 of chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, and everything else attaches to that flows out of that. And so because the grace of God has appeared, how does that impact us? Well, we're to remember then to be submissive, it says, to demonstrate the gospel faithfully. We are to remember that we have a new life from God, which leads to new purposes for God. And as Paul writes in verse one of chapter three, that we are to always be ready to do every good work. Some good works? No, what? Every good work. For some people? No, verse two, right? Showing perfect courtesy towards, what does your Bible say the next word there before people? All. Not just the people you like, not just the people you get along with, not just the people that will vote the same as you on Tuesday, not just the people that are easy, but no, the boss that hurt you, the friend that betrayed you, the one that votes differently than you, the one that gets under your skin. We are still to demonstrate and do the good works of God to all people. Now, what are good works? Thanks, Daniel, for asking. That's a great question. Good works are God's work. They're godly works. The good works that Paul is talking about here are really encapsulated through the whole letter, and you can reread it on your own, but, you know, just being self-controlled, teaching sound doctrine, preaching the word, being good stewards, taking what the gospel ministry that you, and uh, gospel opportunities that you have been entrusted with and embracing kingdom responsibility, choosing to disciple, Showing integrity, being well-pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing, trustworthy, having a heart of submission towards those in authority, all of these things. Now, why is it that sometimes it's so hard to do good things? I believe, and I believe what this text teaches us, and I, the totality of the Bible is this, is because sometimes we are searching for horizontally what should only be found vertically. 
If my identity is in getting the corner office, guess what? I'm going to be willing to dog eat dog, step over you, throw you aside, do whatever it takes to get to that corner office because my identity is horizontal. But if my identity is vertical, okay, God, I trust you. If I get the promotion or not, I trust that you have are at work and I want you to be glorified. Catch that? If my pursuit is, man, I, I can't put up with this person. I got to put them in their place. They're talking smack to me at work. They're talking behind my back. I need to go show them who is boss. No, you're trying to protect your own identity where the scripture teaches us to let God protect you. To as much as it is possible, live as peace to, with one another, to turn the other cheek. Yes, to have proper boundaries, but to demonstrate humility respect, gentleness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But how do we practically do this? Well, this text gives us a great hint and tutorial. When you look at verse five, it talks about whom he poured out on us richly, Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, actually that's verse seven, sorry. Verse five, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, we'll get to this in a second, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That word renewal literally means a change for the better. It's a renovation. You think Chip and Joanna Gaines style renovation? Yeah, it's a heart of your heart. It's the work that God is doing, God the Holy Spirit on your heart. And it's not just for salvation, but it's sanctification all the time. How do we do this? Through the grace of God, which appeared all the way back up in the chapter two, verse 11, right? We can't do this on our own strength. But the word renewal here is used one other time in all of scripture, It's in Romans chapter 12, verse two. Some of you might be very familiar with this verse. Do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the what? Renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So how do I know what good works to do? I seek the Holy Spirit and I ask him to renew my mind. And when he calls me to do something, I am obedient. Because one day he might call me, to give five bucks to the person down the street that needs it. The next day, he might call me to be a listening ear. It's a proactive and reactive stance that said, God, whatever you bring in my way, I am prepared for every good work. And so sometimes it's planning out ahead of time. Other times it's having a soft heart that will knock, knock, knock on your office door. And when you got too many emails to respond and whatnot, and one of your coworkers comes in and goes, I need to talk to you. And you you, you have no time, right? You know what I'm talking about? And God's like, no, this is my time. You need to stop what you wanted to do, renew your mind, and do what I want you to do. It's a heart attitude. That's good works. As we anchor our heart in the gospel. So how do we be always ready? And so many of you serve in the military. It's like the Coast Guard. Thank you for your service. Like Semper Paratus, like always ready. As believers, we are called to be always ready to respond. How do we do this? Here's a readiness revealed test in your own heart right now. Quickly, is this my heart right now? The first question to ask ourselves this morning is, am I submitting obediently? We see that right here in verse one. Remind them, remind them, we all need to be reminded. Submiss- be submissive to rulers and authorities. It doesn't say if your ruler or your authority, your boss or your, your governor or your president or your council member is good or bad or whether they do what you want them to do or not. No, it says submit. Is that you right now? Obviously, as long as they're not doing something illegal, immoral, unethical, unbiblical. But is that the posture of your heart? Again, we, we talked about this several, three weeks ago. Go listen to that message if you want more detail. But I want to challenge you. No matter who gets elected in the midterms, will you submit? 
because our hope is not anchored in who is in the governor's mansion in Annapolis, praise God, or who has control of Congress, praise God, or who sits in the White House, praise God, or who sits in the corner office of your work, praise God. Our hope is in the one who reigns on the eternal throne, praise God, amen. And this text teaches us that we have living hope, that we have eternal hope. Verse seven, according to the hope of eternal life. Second question, am I working for Christ eagerly? Am I ready to do every good work with a joy? Or am I, oh, God's calling me to go talk to that person. I don't want to. I want to watch Netflix. Hey, I've been there. Confessions of a pastor, right? Or a Christian, or a believer, or a person. Are you doing it with an eager heart? People are watching us. What an opportunity we have to be a living, breathing gospel testimony. Am I working, am I living peaceably? Verse two, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle. Is that you? If I checked your social media posts, is that you? Not that I'm doing that and not that I'm not doing that. You don't answer to me. You don't answer to your boss. You answer to God. Are you pursuing peace? Are you a peacemaker or a peace breaker? Who sits on the throne of your heart? You or God? Are you seeking with a motivation to demonstrate Jesus Christ to other people, or do you want them to see you? It's a heart issue. It's a pride issue. Fourth question, am I demonstrating humility? That's what, it show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's the heart of humility. Philippians 2, Paul teaches us to consider Jesus over me and others before me. How's that going, right? Man, it's hard, isn't it? As fleshly human beings, our sinful nature doesn't want us to do this. Our pride nature doesn't want us to do this. Fifth question, am I devoted wholeheartedly? Verse eight, he says, after the response to the gospel, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, have you believed in God? That's got, Jesus is asking, Paul is asking, I'm asking you, it's a rhetorical question, but I'm gonna ask you to respond later. If you've believed in God, if it's authentic, then you must be careful to devote yourself to what? Good works, stewardship of your time, your talent, your resources, to devote yourself, not just casually when I get time, but with a conviction that prioritizes the work of God in our everyday life. That's what a disciple does. And we have to be careful because it's easy to drift, isn't it? It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get off course. So we have to renew our minds to remind us of the priority in our life and the gospel centrality so that we can be careful to commit and have consistency of speech wherever we go, to give generously, to serve sacrificially, to embrace kingdom responsibility, to forgive freely, to love unconditionally. Those are the good works of the gospel that through the power of the grace of God, which has appeared, God working in us wants to work through us. How's, are you, that's the abundant life. Hashtag be different, be devoted, be a disciple, pursue godliness, not worldliness. I am born again by God to daily display the gospel of God, the second attribute of a believer. The second attribute of an abundant life is this, believing in the gospel personally. In every area of our lives, not just one area, in every day of our life, the gospel, is, yes, it's for your salvation, but it's also for your everyday sanctification. Because anybody, has anybody arrived yet? Has anybody per, is anybody perfect like Jesus yet? I'm not. We all have a next step to take. So the gospel must be at the heart of every decision that we make 
yes, the biggest decision, which is for our salvation and our surrender, but every single decision they're out. Look at verse three. This is, this had me weeping in my office this week. Look at who we were. Remember, for we ourselves were what? Were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Wow. But when the great goodness and loving kindness of our God appeared, our Savior appeared, he saved us and then he transformed us. So Paul is saying right here, remember who you were and through remembering then reflect and radiate the gospel daily and rest in the gospel wholeheartedly. We must choose to remember. We are called to do good works for others because of the great gospel work Jesus has already done for us. Praise God. Amen. We can love others in their mess because God first loved us, what? In our mess. Paul's like, yeah, I know it's hard for you to love someone that's hurting you, but remember how much you have been hurting God. And did that stop God from sending Jesus? No. And as God's ambassadors, as Jesus' ambassadors, we are now called to demonstrate that same type of love towards others. To give grace when others don't deserve it because we have been given grace when we didn't deserve it. Praise God, amen. And again, this is all funneled through the strength and possible through of the grace of God. We can't do it in our own flesh. Made possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The grace of God saves us, strengthens us, sanctifies us, sustains us, and sends us. And friends, often we sprint through the gospel, don't we? Maybe you've been a believer for a long period of time. You're like, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. On to the next greatest theological debate or on to my next email or whatever. Shame on us, right? Read Revelation. You can do all these things for God, but this I hold against you, that you have forsaken your first love. Have you forsaken your first love? Today, God is calling us to sit in the gospel. That okay with you? We're gonna, we're gonna pull up a chair and we're gonna sit. We're gonna create space. And I pray that this would become a discipline in all of our lives, not just today, but every day. And we're going to respond. The gospel demands a response, not just for some of us, but for all of us. Because in what areas, parenting, marriage, job, career, military, is the gospel beneficial? All of them. But where has it drifted from the centrality of your life and heart? As we look at this broader text, we see the total transformative package of the gospel. We see this. We see the power of the gospel in chapter 2, verse 11, right? The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Not some, but all. Romans 1.16 says that that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation for those who believe. The gospel has the power of God wrapped up in it. Isn't that awesome? We see the process of the gospel. We're going to hammer on this in a second. Verses 5 through 7. God's free gift and transformative works, not by us. And we see the product of the gospel. What's the product of a gospel? A transformed life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? The old has gone, the new has come. And now people notice a difference in my my motivations are different. My identity is different. My pursuits are different. My joy is different. Why? Because of Jesus. There is a transformation that has happened. That's the product of the gospel. And it's the fruit of the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. Who could use some good news right now, right? In a world full of bad news, man, the gospel is always good news. Not just for some of us, but for all of us. Praise God. It transcends every situation and trans- transforms every circumstance into a story of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. 
It can heal every marriage. It can save the biggest deviant. It can give hope to the deepest hurt. God's grace covers my greatest screw-up and my biggest sin. It removes my shame and it covers my guilt. Praise God, amen? Because Jesus paid for it on the prize. Power of the gospel is on display through the process of the gospel. But first, before we, our first step to embracing the process of the gospel is we have to remember a reality. That's what Paul is reminding us of in verse three. Today, friends, I want you to remember your reality. And maybe this is you, or maybe this was you. Who we were before God. We were foolish, disobedient, led astray. We were hostile. We were forsaken. But through God, he has made us holy and he has made us family. We were adversaries and now we're adopted through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price that we deserved because Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Raise your hand if you're a part of all. Yeah, me too. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Just because you've never committed a murder doesn't mean that you aren't destined for hell outside of God. Because Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free, free, free gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. So just like we, have, we admit we're sinners, the wages, it means like you earn a paycheck for every sin you earn death. It only takes one. And as soon as you commit that first sin, however old you were, however many breaths out of your mommy's belly it took you to commit that first sin, you were destined for hell outside of God because you have now a price that you need to pay that you can't pay it because it requires a perfect sacrifice. And we are all not perfect. We already admitted that, right? But God continues in Romans 5, 8, but God whose love for us demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for it. While we were sinners. In our mess, God demonstrated his mercy. We don't have to clean ourselves up. I don't even have to get my Sunday best on. God just goes, in your mess, how screwed up, messed up you are, I'm going to send my perfect son to pay your price because I love you. And I want you. My two favorite words in the entire Bible are, but God. And we see that right here. This is who we were. We were hating one another. We were filled with envy and mouth. But, verse four, when the goodness, we have a good God, amen? You might feel like the world is bad. It is. You might feel like your life is hard, but God is good. We have a God who is kind, verse four. We have a God who is loving, verse four, that when we are hating, God is still loving and God's character holds in every circumstance of our life. Praise God for that. Believing is trusting in the assurance of things we can't see, things that we've hoped for, the conviction that we have things that we can't see. We need to believe, yes, none of us have ever seen God, but we've experienced the character of God. And we can trust the character of God who is unfailing, and never changes. God is loving when we're hating. He's pursuing when we're running. And verse four, the good, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, the epitome and the fullness of the character of God is found in Jesus Christ, the son of God. 
This verse is saying that Jesus Christ is the full goodness of God, the full loving kindness of God. And if you go back to verse, chapter 2, verse 11, when it said, for the grace of God appeared, offering salvation for all, you put it together with this verse, guess what happens? Grace has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. That when we couldn't save ourselves, God the Father sent God the Son to live a perfect life, to die our death, and to take our rags, because this text teaches us this reality. Verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. We have no righteousness. We have filthy rags. But Jesus takes his perfect righteousness, and he clothes us with it as he pays the price for our sin, so that he presents us justified. That verse is down in verse seven, that we are justified by grace. The word justified literally means just as if I hadn't sinned. It's a legal standing that when God looks at us, he sees us without sin because Jesus has covered us with his perfect righteousness and God has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. Praise God, amen. We believe that reality. And the work of the Holy Spirit, the pursuing work, and see how this happens. Verse 5, that how does this happen? How do we become saved? How do we become transformed? How do we become adopted? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Hold on to your hats if you got them or your chairs, right? You know what regeneration is? It's dead becoming alive. It's the transformative work of salvation that God the Holy Spirit himself does. Millard Erickson, theologian, describes it this way. The sovereign work of God the Holy Spirit of granting spiritual life to each Christian, raising them from the dead so that they are now able to repent and trust in Christ as the new creation. The other, it's the other side of conversion. It's completely God's doing. It's the God's transformation of individual believers, his giving a new spiritual vitality and direction to their lives when they accept Christ. It involves something new, a whole reversal of the person's natural tendencies. Praise God. This is God's work. It's not mine. I can't save you. You can't save you. Only God can save you. And we see the Trinitarian aspect of salvation that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit each have a role to play in our salvation, which is amazing, isn't it? This te- it's all in this text that God the Father is lavishing his mercy richly upon it. He's not holding back. He's not going to the dollar store, the McValue menu, right? He's like, richly, yeah, yeah, I see you're in a mess. Have my mercy. Mercy means the removal of something that we do deserve. And my grace, he's giving us his grace. And he's saving us. Grace is undeserved favor. It's the giving us of something that we, do to, that, that we don't deserve. So God's mercy takes away the punishment of our sin. God's grace gives us eternal life through Jesus. And God's mercy and his grace meet perfectly at the cross of Calvary. Praise God. The doctrine of regeneration means this. That God, our God is in the death-defying, grave-robbing, hope-giving business for your souls, for your marriages, for your parenting, for the wandering and lost child, for the uncertain future. God breathes life into dead places, amen? Nothing is ever too far gone. No one is ever too far gone that God's grace can't cover your greatest sin and none of us ever outgrow our need for God's grace. This is our new identity. This is our beginning. And Paul anchors this and he pounds this nail literally in verse eight when he says, this 
saying it's trustworthy. Insist on it. Through the grace of God, we have been transformed by the power of God to become heirs, verse 8 said, of God. That's amazing. Romans 8, teaches, 8, 17 teaches us the reality that Jesus Christ is not just our savior, but through his, through his work, God makes us co-heirs with Jesus. Jesus is our savior and he's our big brother. Isn't that awesome? He's the best big brother around. We've been adopted into the family of God. Friends, I want you to hear this. The world might reject you. Your significant other might dump you. Your job might fire you, but God is actively pursuing you right now because God wants you. He wants to spend eternity with you. And he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. He paid the price for you. He loves you that much. When we say you are loved at the end of every service, it's because of this text in the heart of God that there is nothing that you can do that will make you ever go outside of the love of God. God will always love you. You are loved. However you walk in here, you are loved by a pursuing, gracious, merciful God. Praise God, amen. Will you believe that? Will you anchor in that? We see in this text these, these truths, that the gospel is transformational. It takes us from one state to another. It's personal. You have to make a personal decision. It says it in verse eight, to those who have believed in God. My question for you this morning is, have you believed in God? Have you put your faith in God? It is accessible. Verses, chapter 2, verse 11 says, The grace of God appeared, offering salvation for who? For all. It's accessible to every single one of you. Right here, right now. And it, it's, it needs to be foundational. It needs to be central. Because that is the power that gives us the devotion to do good works. To do the work that God wants us to do. Because we're not going to naturally submit to authorities because we desire control too much, don't we? But when the gospel is at the center of our hearts and Jesus' glory is at the pursuit of our lives, we will because we want to honor God and we're strengthened by the grace of God to live out the gospel of God. Regeneration is ultimately a transformation. It's a doctrine from which we get the phrase born again. You might be familiar with that phrase. You might be familiar with one of the most popular verses in all of human history, John 3.16. The doctrine of regeneration is at the heartbeat of the story of John 3, verses 1 through 18. I would encourage you to read it on your own this week. I'm going I'm to tell it to you shortly here. It's the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious teacher. He was a ruler, and he was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was the smartest guy in the room. He had more religious background. Back Drop. He had more intellectual information than probably you or I will ever, ever accumulate. But there was something about Jesus that intrigued him. He noticed and he, so he went at night to see Jesus because it was countercultural to approach Jesus for that time for a man in his position. And maybe it would be countercultural if you're in the military or if you're in a, or whatnot, to go, I believe in God. Maybe you can identify with Nicodemus here. But Nicodemus had questions, and maybe you have questions about God or, or theology or who Jesus is. And, but so Nicodemus brought his questions, and I want to encourage you to bring your questions to God. God can handle your questions, can't he? He can handle them, so bring them. And he went at night because he didn't want to be discovered. Okay, come as you are, whenever you are. But it takes humility to go. And maybe that's your step today, to actually have the humility to ask the question about, God, help my unbelief. Help me to understand what's going on here. 
So he approaches God and he sort of goes, God, Jesus, I can tell that you're from God. You're doing these things and have these power. And he, he's, he's silent. And then Jesus responds to him this way in John 3, 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again means that doctrine of regeneration. The Holy Spirit's work to take us from lost to found, from forsaken to family, from adversary to adopted, from old life to new. Nicodemus goes, he, his mind is flowing again. He's the smartest one of the smartest guys around. He'd been around religion all of his life. He goes, Jesus, help me understand. This, he's an older guy. And he goes, how does this work? Do I literally have to get back into my mom's belly? Like, it's a legit question. You think your question's silly? Welcome to Nicodemus's world, right? Bring your questions, bring your concerns, bring them to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, there's this dialogue back and forth. And Jesus ultimately says this. He says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you, you do not even understand these things? And then he, he shares these verses, which some of us know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Friends today, have you believed in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And are you living that out on a daily basis? Is it evident in your life? That means that no longer do I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what God wants to do. None of us get that perfect all the time. I don't. Praise God for his grace, right? And forgiveness. So that's why daily confession should be part of our daily life. And whenever we confess, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there has to come a point where you believe in Nicodemus. This was the first ever version of Nick at Night, another 90s joke, right? But there, Nicodemus came to believe. You know how we know that? Because Nicodemus was one of two men who took Jesus off the cross personally and buried him with Joseph of Arimathea. He chose to go countercultural to what was popular. I'm sure it cost him a lot of things with his fellow religious rulers. And it might cost you a lot of things with your family or your coworkers or your military buddies, your friends. But there is only one thing and one person that can save you, and his name is Jesus. And is that, what's he worth to you? We've seen who Jesus, the Bible says he is. I believe it, but do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Because the gospel demands a response. The story in this text of Titus 3 is a story of I was, but God, and now. Do you have that story in your life? Nicodemus had religion, but he had no relationship. Is that you? He had all the information, but he had no transformation. Is that you? He had the position, the religious position, but he had no posture of submission and surrender. Is that you? Would to, if it's you, would today be the day that you put your faith and hope and love in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You don't have to have all your questions answered. I still have questions. I do. But the centrality of the gospel and salvation is anchored on this. Do you understand and admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you understand and understand the reality that your sins, you earn death and separation in hell from God forever? And do you understand the reality that you can't save yourself and go, God, I believe that you sent Jesus to save me. And I believe that he died and rose again and paid the price for my sins. And I want to submit to him as Lord. I want to give up control because that's the path of abundant life. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is not only the path to abundant life, he is abundant life. I am the life. I am the truth. I am the way. Do you know him? 
How do we sit in the gospel daily? Five quick things, and then we're going to have some time in prayer. We accept it. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Simple question, yet profound answer. Life is too short, and I love you too much to not ask you if you have not made that decision to make it right now. The Holy Spirit does the work, but we need to believe. And if that is something stirring inside of you right now, and maybe, I don't know about this, I got all these questions, but there's something that goes, I believe, just let it out. And say, I believe, God, help my unbelief. Or God, I want to help believe. God, I want the abundant life. I'm tired. I'm tired of the rat race. I'm tired of the lack of, I have all the money, but no peace. God, I want you. I want you and I need you. I can't fix this on my own. I've tried and it's just more broken like Ikea furniture, right? God, I need you. Because I can't do it. Will you accept it today? All it is, is saying, God, I choose it to believe that you are the Christ, that you paid the price for my sins and I want to surrender my heart to you. We will walk with you through the rest. The rest is the path of discipleship where the Holy Spirit leads you into his truth over a lifetime. Don't let what, friends, don't let what you don't know stop you from surrendering to the one whom you do know. Will you anchor in it? Maybe you've known the Lord, but you've drifted from him. Would you renew your mind today and would you repent of your sins and come back to the Lord? the anchor for your soul. Recenter your life on the hub of Jesus Christ. Would you abide in it? John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you're apart from him, I will cast you away until the eternity of damnation. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you remaining in? Are you anchoring your heart and your mind in the gospel and worship and in prayer? Are you just trying to do your own thing and do Christian good works outside of the gospel? Jesus says in Matthew 7, many people will come to me and say, God, I did this, God, I did that. Can I you let me into my heaven? And he will say, what? Get away from me. I never knew you. Life is too short. I've seen too many lives cut short. Friends, don't leave today without doing business with God. I want you to have the abundant life. Alignment. Is everything in your life aligned with the gospel in the middle? Your marriage, your parenting, your job, your work, your play, your re- how you spend your resources, your time, your money, your effort. Is it aligned with the gospel? Come back to that and apply and adorn it. He talked about adorning it a couple of verses earlier in chapter two. Are you displaying the gospel? Are you doing devoted to good works? The gospel demands a response. Right now we're going to go into a prayer time. I'm going to ask those that are going to be prayer leaders or or that are leaders in the church to come forward right now. We're going to have three different stations in the front and one in the back. Um, Anne's going to be over here on the left. And Andrew and Veronica, Pastor Andrew and Veronica are going to be here in the middle. Ted, one of our elders, is going to be over here on the side. And and Austin, our our other lay elder, is going to be in the back. I want to invite you to come. It takes humility to come. And you can pray at your seat. If there's somebody that God puts on your heart to move around and pray with during this response time that's in another part of the sanctuary, feel free to do that. But I want you to come. I want you to experience the abundant life and nobody walks alone. This is symbolic of the reality that you are not alone. We can't do this alone. We need prayer. We need gospel ministry. We need partners. We need to repent. Are you tired of the bondage that the world gives? Will you come and experience the abundance that Jesus gives right now? What is dead in your life that needs prayer that you're asking God today to bring back to life? Maybe it's a situation, a relationship, or a circumstance. Come and get prayer. Come and pray. 
Come and ask God to do the transformative, life-giving, death-defying. Our God breathes life into dead things. It's not done. It's not done. Where have you been running from God and need to run to God today? What do you need to confess? What do you need to repent? The scripture says confess your sins to God, but also to each other. Is there something in your heart that you just need prayer to have victory over? Where have you been straying from the gospel and you need to return to anchor in the gospel? Is it a parenting situation? Is it a prodigal child? Is it an addiction? Is it a relationship? Come. God breaks chains. Amen? Come experience breakthrough. Your external circumstances might not change, but the internal circumstances of your heart will. Where do you need God to breathe hope back into your life today? Maybe it's a loss. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's an ongoing illness. Maybe it's an uncertain future. Maybe it's the endurance through a trial. You're not alone. Let's come and pray together. Where have you been doubting or denying God that today you need to choose to believe in God? And where have you been ignoring, rejecting Jesus that today you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Or maybe your prayer is, God, I want to believe, but I'm struggling. Help my unbelief. Mark 9, that's a great prayer. Come and pray that today. Prayer is our power source death to life as we walk together. So we're just going to have a couple minutes right now. Amy's going to continue to pray. I'm going to pray right now to open this time of extended prayer, and then I'll pray to close it, and then we'll go right into communion to remember what Jesus has done for us. But a remembrance leads to a response in our daily life, but also in our heart. So I literally want to ask you to pray. Maybe you want to pray individually. Maybe you want to pray in groups throughout the sanctuary. Maybe you want to get up and come. These, these leaders and pastors and elders would love to pray with you. I believe that God wants to do breakthrough right here, right now. Stop running and surrender. Father, we love you and thank you for the transformative work of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray right now that you would strip away any worries about what people beside us think. And God, that we would just embrace you. The first step to acknowledgement and the transformative process of the gospel is to acknowledge the reality of our depravity. And God, we need help. We need to admit and own our sin, admit our need for you to experience the beauty of you. But God in our mess came in his loving kindness and his mercy and his grace and his goodness. He sent Jesus Christ to pay the price. God, in every way, may we honor you. And I just pray that all of us would surrender to you and take our next step into following you right now. In your name we pray, amen. Come on. Just pray where you are or come up front or go in the back. feeling that nudging, don't hesitate. The Holy Spirit working in you. Respond and open your heart.
Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for the power of the gospel that is at work right now. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would continue to work. God, you're working and you're moving right now. Break walls, penetrate hearts, save lives. God, restore, renew, redeem. That's what you do. That's who you are. You are redemption. You are hope. You are peace. Grace has a name. Peace has a name. Its name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who went to Calvary to claim our victory, God, to purchase it, who looked at us and loved us even when we were a mess, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that our identity is not defined by the biggest screw-up that we have, but our identity is son and daughter of the Most High King, Jesus Christ, that we bring to you filthy rags and you give us and cloak us in your robes of righteousness because you love us, not because of anything we've done, but because of what you do and who you are how you created us in your image and how you continue to purchase us and redeem us as you pursued us to restore us back, back into your forever family. Help us to never forget and always remember, God, who we were and who you are. May that be our identity. May that be our pursuit. In the righteous name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Would you please take out your communion cups? On the top, there's a wafer symbolizing the, the body of Jesus Christ. Would you pull that out right now? Jesus in the upper room right before he went to the cross to pay the price for you and for me. He looked at his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, eat it in remembrance of me. At Harvest, we practice open communion, which means if you have a relationship with the Lord, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, whether you're here for the first time, if you've been here a long, long time, we would love for you to participate in communion. If you have not confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, we would, I would graciously and humbly ask you to refrain from it. But more than that, I would ask that you would surrender right now, that you would choose life, that you would choose Jesus. But friends, help us center our hearts on the reality of the gospel as we remember Jesus. So right now, would you eat the wafer in remembrance of Jesus Christ? The night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup and he, he poured it. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. When you drink of this, drink it in remembrance of me. The reality of how loved you are that Jesus did not spare a drop of blood in his body that he gave it all for you. When we didn't deserve it, when we were far off, Jesus said, I want you to draw near and I will pay your price and it will cost me everything. But I want you to know how much I love you and how my father is pursuing you, wants to restore you. So with that heart of love and I pray that you would understand how loved you are, would you drink this juice in remembrance of Jesus Christ? Father, I just pray that you would continue to work in a mighty way right now. God, in and through the room and more than that in our hearts, God, you are at work. God, I pray that as we remember the victory, that there was a night and there was a time when it was dark and our lives were dead, but you cut through. Your light penetrated the darkness. Your Holy Spirit made us alive again. And Father God, right now, we just want to praise you for who you are. We want to reflect and we want to remember 
And God, may you tune our hearts to rejoice now at the power of the victory of Jesus Christ and the transformative work of the Holy Spirit so that we might sing to you and give glory to you and praise to you uh, for you alone for who it's due. God, we love you and we look to you and we magnify your great name, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.